0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by A. R. Dobbs, San Francisco, California. Adam Bede by George Eliot so that ye may have clear images before your gladdened eyes of nature's unambitious underwood and flowers that prosper in the shade. And when I speak of such among the flock as swerved or fell, those only shall be singled out upon whose lapse or error something more than brotherly forgiveness may attend. Wordsworth Book One, Chapter One, The Workshop. With a single drop of ink for a mirror, the Egyptian sorcerer undertakes to reveal to any chance-comer far-reaching visions of the past. This is what I undertake to do for you, reader. With this drop of ink at the end of my pen, I will show you the roomy workshop of Mr. Jonathan Burge, carpenter and builder in the village of Hayslope, as it appeared on the 18th of June, in the year of our Lord, 1799. The afternoon sun was warm on the five workmen there, busy upon doors and window-frames and wainscoting. A scent of pine-wood from a tent-like pile of planks outside the open door mingled itself with the scent of the elder-bushes which were spreading their summer snow close to the open window opposite. The slanting sunbeams shone through the transparent shavings that flew before the steady plain and lit up the fine grain of the oak panelling which stood propped against the wall. On a heap of those soft shavings, a rough, grey shepherd-dog had made himself a pleasant bed, and was lying with his nose between his forepaws, paws, occasionally wrinkling his brows to cast a glance at the tallest of the five workmen, who was carving a shield in the centre of a wooden mantelpiece. It was to this workman that the strong baritone belonged, which was heard above the sound of plane and hammer singing awake my soul and with the sun thy daily stage of duty run shake off dull sloth here some measurement was to be taken which required more concentrated attention and the sonorous voice subsided into a low whistle but it presently broke out again with renewed vigour Let all thy converse be sincere, thy conscience as the noonday clear. Such a voice could only come from a broad chest, and the broad chest belonged to a large-boned, muscular man nearly six feet high, with a back so flat and a head so well poised, that when he drew himself up to take a more distant survey of his work, he had the air of a soldier standing at ease. The sleeve rolled up above the elbow showed an arm that was likely to win the prize for feats of strength. Yet the long, supple hand, with its broad fingertips, looked ready for works of skill. In his tall stalwartness, Adam Bede was a Saxon, and justified his name. But the jet-black hair, made the more noticeable by its contrast with the light paper cap, and the keen glance of the dark eyes that shone from under strongly marked prominent and mobile eyebrows indicated a mixture of Celtic blood. The face was large and roughly hewn, and when in repose had no other beauty than such as belongs to an expression of good-humoured, honest intelligence. It is clear at a glance that the next workman is Adam's brother. He is nearly as tall, He has the same type of features, the same hue of hair and complexion. But the strength of the family likeness seems only to render more conspicuous the remarkable difference of expression, both in form and face. Seth's broad shoulders have a slight stoop. His eyes are grey, his eyebrows have less prominence and more repose than his brother's. And his glance, instead of being keen, is confiding and benign. He has thrown off his paper cap and you see that his hair is not thick and straight like Adam's, but thin and wavy, allowing you to discern the exact contour of a coronal arch that predominates very decidedly over the brow. The idle tramps always felt sure they could get a copper from Seth. They scarcely ever spoke to Adam. The concert of the tools and Adam's voice was at last broken by Seth, who, lifting the door at which he had been working intently, placed it against the wall, and said, "'There! I've finished my door to-day, anyhow.' The workmen all looked up. Jim Salt, a burly, red-haired man, known as Sandy Jim, paused from his planing, and Adam said to Seth, with a sharp glance of surprise, "'What? Dost think thee'st finished the door?' "'Ay, sure,' said Seth, with answering surprise. "'What's a-wanting to it?" A loud roar of laughter from the other three workmen made Seth look round confusedly. Adam did not join in the laughter, but there was a slight smile on his face, as he said in a gentler tone than before. Why these forgot the panels! The laughter burst out afresh, as Seth clapped his hands to his head, and coloured over brow and crown. "'Hoo-ray!' shouted a small, lithe fellow called Wiry Ben, running forward and seizing the door. We'll hang up the door at the fur end of the shop, and write on it, "'Seth be the Methody his work." Here, Jim, lends hold o' the red pot. Nonsense," said Adam. "Let it alone, Ben. Cranage, you'll mayhap be making such a slip yourself some day. You'll laugh o' the other side of your mouth then. Catch me at it, Adam. It'll be a good while afore my head's full of the Methodies," said Ben. "Nay, but it's often full o' of drink, and that's worse." Ben, however, had now got the red pot in his hand, and was about to begin writing his inscription, making, by way of preliminary, an imaginary S in the air. "'Let it alone, will you?' Adam called out, laying down his tools, striding up to Ben, and seizing his right shoulder. "'Let it alone, or I'll shake the soul out wi' your body.' Ben shook in Adam's iron grasp, but, like a plucky small man as he was, he didn't mean to give in. With his left hand he snatched the brush from his powerless right, and made a movement as if he would perform the feat of writing with his left. In a moment Adam turned him round, seized his other shoulder, and, pushing him along, pinned him against the wall. But now Seth spoke up. "'Let be, Addie, let be. Ben will be joking. Why, he's the right to laugh at me. I can't help laughing at myself.' "'I shan't lose him till he promises to let the door alone,' said Adam." "'Come, Ben, lad,' said Seth, in a persuasive tone. "'Don't let's have a quarrel about it. "'You know Adam will have his way. "'You may as well try to turn a wagon in a narrow lane. "'Say you'll leave the door alone, and make an end on it.' "'I've been affrighted at Adam,' said Ben. "'But I don't a mind saying, as I'll let alone at your asking, Seth.' "'Come, that's wise of you, Ben,' said Adam, laughing and relaxing his grasp. They all returned to their work now, but Wiry Ben, having had the worst in the bodily contest, was bent on retrieving that humiliation by a success in sarcasm. Which was ye thinking on, Seth, he began. The pretty parson's face or her sermon when ye forgot the panels. Come and hear her, Ben, said Seth, good humouredly. She's going to preach on the green tonight. Happen you'd get something to think on yourself, then, instead of those wicked songs you're so fond on. You might get religion, and that'd be the best day's earnings ye ever made. All oh, look time for that, Seth. I'll think about that when I'm a goin' to settle a life. Bachelors doesn't want such heavy earnings. Happen I'll do the courtin' and the religion both together, as ye do, Seth. "'But you wouldn't ha' me get converted and chop in between ye and that pretty preacher and carry her a'ff.' "'No fear o' that, Ben. She's neither for you nor for me to win, I doubt. "'Only you come and hear her, and you won't speak lightly on her again.' "'Well, I'm a half a mind to ha' look at her to-night, if there isn't good company at the Hollybush. "'What'll she take for her text?' Happen ye can tell me, Seth, if so be I shouldna come up a time for it? Wilt be? What come ye out for to see? A prophetess? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophetess, a uncommon pretty young woman. Come, Ben," said Adam rather sternly. "You let the words of the Bible alone. You're going too far now. What are ye a turnin round, Adam?" I thought ye were dead again the woman preachin' a while ago. Nay, I'm not turnin' no way. I said not about the women preachin'. I said you let the Bible alone. You've got a jest-book, ha ye, as you're rare and proud on. Keep your dirty fingers to that. Why, ye're gettin' as big a saint as Seth. Ye're goin' to the preachin' to-night, I should think. Ye'll do finely to lead the singin'. "'But I don't know what Parson Irwin'll say "'at his grand favourite Adam Bede, a turnin' Methody.'" "'Never do you bother yourself about me, Ben. "'I'm not a-going to turn Methodist any more nor you are, "'though it's like enough you'll turn to something worse. "'Mester Irwin's got more sense nor to meddle with people's doin' "'as they like in religion. "'That's between themselves and God, as he says to me many a time.'" Aye, aye, but he's none so fond o' your dissenters for all that. Maybe I'm none so fond o' Josh Todd's thick ale, but I don't hinder you from making a fool o' yourself, wit. There was a laugh at this thrust of Adams, but Seth said very seriously, Nay, nay, Addie, thee must na say as anybody's religion's like thick ale. Thee dostna believe but what the dissenters and the Methodists have got the root of the matter, as well as the church folks nay saith lad i'm not for laughing at no man's religion let em follow their consciences that's all only i think it'd be better if their consciences ud let em stay quiet in the church there's a deal to be learnt there and there's such a thing as being over-spiritual we must have something besides gospel of this world look at the canals and the aqueducts and the coal-pit engines and arkwright's mills there at cromford a man must learn summat beside gospel to make them things, I reckon. But to hear some of them preachers, you'd think, as a man must be doing nothing all's life but shutting his eyes and lookin' what's a goin' on inside him. I know a man must have the love of God in his soul, and the Bible's God's word. But what does the Bible say? Why, it says, as God put his spirit into the workman, as built the tabernacle to make him do all the carved work and things as wanted a nice hand. And this is my way o looking at it. There's the Spirit o God in all things and all times, weekday as well as Sunday, and the great works and inventions, and the figuring and the mechanics. And God helps us with our headpieces and our hands as well as with our souls. And if a man does bits o jobs out o working hours, builds a oven for his wife, to save her from goin' to the bakehouse, or scrats at his bit o' garden, and makes two potatoes grow instead of one. He's doing more good, and he's just as near to God, as if he was runnin' after some preacher, and a prayin' and a groanin'. "'Well done, Adam,' said Sandy Jim, who had paused from his planing to shift his planks while Adam was speaking. "'That's the best sarment I've heard this long while.' "'By the same token, my wife's been a plaguin' on me "'to build her em this twelve-month.' "'There's reason in what thee say'st, Adam,' observed Seth gravely. "'But thee know'st thyself, as it's hearing the preachers "'thee find'st so much fault with "'has turned many an idle man into an industrious un. "'It's the preacher as empties the ale-house, "'and if a man gets religion, he'll do his work none the worse for that.' "'Only he'll have the panels out of the doors sometimes, eh, Seth?' said Wiry Ben. "'Ah, Ben, you've got a joke again me as'll last you your life. "'But it isn't a religion as was a fault there. "'It was Seth Bede, as was all as a wool-gatherin' chap, "'and religion hasna cured him, the more's the pity. "'Ne'er heed me, Seth,' said Wiry Ben. "'Ye're a downright good-hearted chap, panels or no panels.' And ye dinna set up your bristles at every bit of fun like some of your kin, as is mayhap cleverer. Seth, lad, said Adam, taking no notice of the sarcasm against himself, thee mustna take me unkind. I wasn't a drivin' at thee in what I said just now. Some's got one way o' looking at things, and some's got another. Nay, nay, Addie, thee meanst me no unkindness, said Seth. I know that well enough. Thee't like thy dog, Jip thee barked at me sometimes but thee always licked my hand after all hands worked on in silence for some minutes until the church clock began to strike six before the first stroke had died away sandy jim had loosed his plane and was reaching his jacket wiry ben had left a screw half driven in and thrown his screwdriver into his tool basket mum taft who true to his name had kept silence throughout the previous conversation "'had flung down his hammer as he was in the act of lifting it, "'and Seth, too, had straightened his back "'and was putting out his hand towards his paper cap. "'Adam alone had gone on with his work as if nothing had happened. "'But observing the cessation of the tools, he looked up, "'and said, in a tone of indignation, "'Look there now! "'I can't abide to see men throw away their tools that way. "'The minute the clock begins to strike, "'as if they took no pleasure o' their work,' "'and was afraid o' doin' a stroke too much.' "'Seth looked a little conscious, "'and began to be slower in his preparations for going. "'But Mum Taft broke silence and said, "'Aye, aye, Adam lad, ye talk like a un. "'When ye are six and forty like me, stood o six six and twenty, "'ye want to be so flush a-workin' for naught." "'Nonsense,' said Adam, still wrathful. What's age got to do with it, I wonder? Yarn a getting stiff yet, I reckon, I hate to see a man's arms drop down as if he was shot before the clock's fairly struck. Just as if he'd never a bit of pride and delight in's work. The very grindstone'll go on turnin' a bit after you loose it. Boderation, Adam, exclaimed Wiry Ben. Leave a chap alone, will he? ye were a findin' fout wi preachers a while ago ye're fond enough o preachin son ye may like work better nor play but i like play better nor work that'll accommodate ye it leaves ye the more to do with this exit speech which he considered effective wiry ben shouldered his basket and left the workshop quickly followed by mum taft and sandy jim seth lingered and looked wistfully at adam as if he expected him to say something "'Shalt go home before thee ghost to the preaching?' Adam asked, looking up. "'Nay, I've got my hat and things at Will Masqueries. "'I shan't be home before going for ten. "'I'll happen see Dinah Morris safe home, if she's willing. "'There's nobody comes with her from Poysers, thee knowest.' "'Then I'll tell mother not to look for thee,' said Adam. art artna going to Poysers thyself to-night?' said Seth, rather timidly, "'as he turned to leave the workshop.' Nay, I'm going to the school. Hitherto Jip had kept his comfortable bed, only lifting up his head and watching Adam more closely as he noticed the other workmen departing. But no sooner did Adam put his ruler in his pocket and begin to twist his apron round his waist, than Jip ran forward and looked up in his master's face with patient expectation. If Jip had had a tail, he would doubtless have wagged it. But being destitute of that vehicle for his emotions, he was, like many other worthy personages, destined to appear more phlegmatic than nature had made him. "'What? Art ready for the basket, eh, Jip?' said Adam, with the same gentle modulation of voice as when he spoke to Seth. Jip jumped and gave a short bark, as much as to say, "'Of course!' Poor fellow, he had not a great range of expression. The basket was the one which on workdays held Adam's and Seth's dinner— and no official, walking in procession, could look more resolutely unconscious of all acquaintances than jip with his basket, trotting at his master's heels. On leaving the workshop, Adam locked the door, took the key out, and carried it to the house on the other side of the woodyard. It was a low house, with smooth grey thatch and buff walls, looking pleasant and mellow in the evening light. The leaded windows were bright and speckless, and the stone door was as clean as a white boulder at ebb-tide. On the door-stone stood a clean old woman in a dark-striped linen gown, a red kerchief, and a linen cap, talking to some speckled fowls which appeared to have been drawn towards her by an illusory expectation of cold potatoes or barley. The old woman's sight seemed to be dim, for she did not recognize Adam till he said, Here's the key, Dolly. Lay it down for me in the house, will you? Aye sure, but when o ye come in, Adam Miss Mary's i the house, and mister Burge will be back anon. He'd be glad to ha ye to supper win, I'll be as warrant. No, Dolly, thank you. I'm off home. Good evening. Adam hastened along with long strides, Jip close to his heels, out of the workyard and along the high road leading away from the village and down to the valley. As he reached the foot of the slope, an elderly horseman with his portmanteau strapped behind him stopped his horse when Adam had passed him, and turned round to have another long look at the stalwart workman in paper cap, leather breeches, and dark blue worsted stockings. Adam, unconscious of the admiration he was exciting, presently struck across the fields, and now broke out into the tune which had all day long been running in his head. Let all thy converse be sincere, thy conscience as the noonday clear, for God's all-seeing eye surveys thy secret thoughts, thy works and ways. End of chapter 1